It's Tuesday, June 7th, and you're listening to episode 25 of Firmly Planted. A few months ago, my Sunday school class began working through a broad overview of the Bible. So lately, we've been wandering between Egypt and Jordan with the Israelites. I'll be honest, the Old Testament can be a difficult section of the Bible. The God we meet there seems to stand in such alarming contrast to the kind compassion of Jesus in the New, and so it's easy to camp out in the New Testament, read it, study it, memorize it, and rarely venture beyond its borders. I've certainly been guilty of this. We shrink from the God revealed before Christ's arrival, partly, maybe mostly, because of his wrath. A self-proclaimed jealous God, he always seems to be angry consuming complainers with fire, plague, and sudden chasms in the ground. All the way through, there is punishment and suffering and finally exile for a people who just can't keep a strict, often arduous law. The almost unbroken refrain from lowly peasant to the king's throne is the failure of the people to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. But the litany of disasters I just recited is not how the Bible defines wrath. Paul states very clearly in Romans 1 that God's wrath is evidenced when he abandons us to our own devices and gives us exactly what we want, his absence. Consequences for sin are not an exhibition of wrath. They are the workings of mercy. This time through the Old Testament, I've been struck every single week by the way the narrative lays out so clearly the undeniable mercy of God. Over and over and over, he tells the people he is their best good. He is for them. His ways are life to them. And there is only death waiting along any other path besides the one that he's cleared for them. He knows they won't stick to the path. But he isn't the sort to give one chance and permanently wash his hands of them. He lays out the consequences for disobedience, not simply as punishment, but as the sharp pain that he hopes will drive them back to the only right path. Listen for a minute to this list of consequences from Leviticus 26. In verse 14, But if you will not listen to me, if you spurn my statutes, and if your soul abhors my rules, then I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Verse 18, And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. Verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking sevenfold for your sins. Verse 23. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you. Verse 27. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you, and I will scatter you among the nations. And finally, verse 44. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, for I am the Lord their God. It sounds awful and terrifying, but this is not wrath. This is the mercy of consequences. More than that, the promise of redemption where there is repentance. 
God is promising the Israelites, no matter how low they sink, his mercy will be there, continually and painfully pricking them to show them the way back, reminding them that their God is working for their good, even in disastrous circumstances. At every level, there's the chance to repent. And even if not, he won't give up. And why won't he give up? Maybe your question is, why did God create this system of rules, rewards, and punishments in the first place? This answer is also there in the story. The always existent God, the creator of the entire universe, inexplicably desires to dwell among his creatures. But his holiness, an attribute he cannot set aside, is like a consuming fire. We know that fire has many good and useful purposes, even pleasures, if we respect its power and properties. God is not giving all these dire warnings because he is vengeful. He is saying we were designed to be in relationship with him, but there are dangers to us in the accomplishment of that goal because he is holy and we are not. He is showing the Israelites how to make it possible for their God to dwell in their midst without being destroyed. It's important to note this is an arrangement that Israel also chooses. In the 33rd chapter of Exodus, directly after the golden calf incident, God tells Moses, okay, I will give these descendants of Abraham the land that I promised them, and I will drive out the inhabitants so they can live there, but I will not travel with this people. The people have already complained about the hardships along the short journey from Egypt, and here God promises them exactly what they want, peace and prosperity. But for the lack of his presence, this pronouncement is considered a disastrous word by the people, and they mourn. Today we live in the age of grace, but I am so grateful the law of merciful consequences remains in place because we rarely change without the pain and inconvenience of unpleasant results to prod us. We need to be caught in sin. We need the discomfort of bad outcomes to push us to Christ-likeness, to prevent us from becoming fixed in a sinful habit. Lastly, let me say that while it is a great mercy to experience the consequences of our sin, it is not enough to restore us. We must confess. There is no grace or forgiveness in the shadows, in secrecy, in denial, or in private promises to do better. The gifts of grace and forgiveness are only offered to those who come into the light, who are more desperate for the restored relationship and cleansing forgiveness than for saving face. The path of freedom from whatever continually trips us up is in the habitual confession of our failures to God and to others, in repeated true repentance, and in resting in the grace and faithfulness of our gracious Redeemer. I hope, too, that if the Old Testament seems dry, incomprehensible, or revealing of a prickly God, I pray that you will crack the pages once more and be overwhelmed by the underlying, unrelenting, unfathomable, and blatant mercy saturating every divine action recorded there.